It is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Dunholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. Always a pleasure to be with you here on Soccer Weekly, a special Thursday show. And what a special show it is. I got to tell you, we are chock full. Thanks so much to the great producer, Mario Rees, for uh, putting this together. So many things to get to on this uh, episode of Soccer Weekly. And I got to tell you, the first and foremost, we got to thank one of our sponsors for doing this. What's on tap tonight on Soccer Weekly? It's sponsored by Pocock Brewing. Visit PocockBrewing.com to see what's on tap right in their tasting room. Pocock Brewing Company, embrace life, drink good beer. And we thank Pocock Brewing Company. It's funny, I was walking by a really cool, it's like a wine shop kind of beer place around my place. I live not too far from uh, the studios here. At ESPN LA 710, the home of Soccer Weekly. About a mile away, and I live downtown. I'm walking by this really cool place, and in the window, it catches my eye earlier today on my little walk. I don't exercise anymore much in terms of, like, running. I do walking. Okay, I'm an old man. I walk around the neighborhood a lot. And as I'm by, it just catches my eye. So I turn around, and there, boom, is something from Pocock Brewing Company right in the window of this cool, hip place. So there you go. And I thought, hey, I'm doing the show tonight. Pocock Brewing Company. We appreciate their support here. And we do have – it's chock full of what's on tap. We do have an interview. How about Brad Friedel, manager, a new manager of the New England Revolution? He decides to leave us at Fox Soccer, where I do – I had worked with Brad and Fox Sports. He decides to take his talents back across the country to become the new manager of New England Revolution. How about that? We'll have Brad Friedel on coming up. And then, not to be outdone, John Thorrington, executive vice president and GM of LAFC, as they continue their build – leading to their first season here in 2018 coming up. So John's going to take some moments and join us. So I really appreciate that. It's going to be a great show. Absolutely loaded. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, at TalkSoccer, at TalkSoccer. You can follow the show there. And uh, iTunes, if you miss anything, you miss any of these interviews coming up, you have to get out of the car for a bit or something like that, go to iTunes, download the podcast, Soccer Weekly, easy to find. Subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate that. It's blowing up. On iTunes, I truly appreciate that. World Cup, it's set. Now, it was a dagger to my heart and your heart, I'm sure, as U.S. men's national team fans to see these playoffs going on in UEFA. You saw the playoff between New Zealand and Peru wrap up last evening. You saw the uh, Australians taking on Honduras. That was especially painful because at the very least, the United States should have been in some stinking playoff. We couldn't even do that. So instead, i got to watch all these teams go through these playoffs fighting tooth and nail, qualifying like Sweden beating Italy. Oh, by the way, Sweden's just better than Italy. Let's not make too big of an uproar over this. The Italians have struggled over the last few years. Uh, What did Costa Rica do to them in the last World Cup? Go take a look. Now, look, it was painful. It was just unbelievably painful, and that's the only way you can describe it. I, had, I was tweeting back and forth a little bit with Mike Trudell, the great soccer uh, soccer uh, fan here, of course, doing the Laker coverage and, uh, here on ESPN LA 710. On ESPN LA 710, excuse me, I'm all choked up over the U.S. not getting there. And we were just contemplating how painful it truly is. And it's still killing me. But the 32 teams are now set. Guess what? The world keeps going. They don't care that the U.S. isn't in it. <laughs> FIFA's not going to stop the World Cup because we didn't make it. But it reminded me of something that I tweeted it out yesterday. I want to say it here. It reminded me how we all cannot take for granted any longer. Never again should we take for granted the U.S. qualifying for the World Cup. Because I feel like 
And I'm going to blame myself, too. I feel like we did start taking that for granted. Oh, it's CONCACAF. Of course we're going to beat these teams. Well, guess what? They're better than us. They beat us over 10 games. It is not something you can look at and say, oh, the Trinidad and Tobago game. Well, that was the one game that cost us. No, it's a 10-game process. And if you're new to soccer and you think it was just that one game on a tiny island that cost the U.S. a trip to the Russia 2018, you're sorely mistaken. That was the culmination, and that really truly represented our 10-game qualifying very well, unfortunately. But it wasn't the all the entirety of qualifying. We aren't going. Guess what? That little soccer ball is going to spin on in Russia. So we got to take a look at what's going on with the 32 teams who got there. Now, if you remember, we talked about it here on Soccer Weekly, but it's a new system for the draw. Draw's coming up on December 1st. Another dagger to my heart. I usually love to get up early on that day. It's kind of like I'm a kid on Christmas morning. I could get up early that day for the World Cup draw. I once went to a party here at the ESPN Zone down in the, uh, back when that was around here at the LA Live. And they had the World Cup draw party. It's super early in the morning, and we were sitting there screaming, and Vuvuzuelas were out there playing or whatever they call those things. We were going nuts for the draw. And we won't be there. We will not see uh, some former soccer great dude pull out a little Easter egg and open it up, and it won't say U.S. We're not going to be there. But that is going to be a dagger. However, it's a new system for the World Cup draw, and we got to talk about it. Because we're set now with 32 teams. There's four pots, eight teams in each pot. Makes sense, right? Each group has four teams. So each group will be represented by one of these pots. Now, there are rules because there's so many teams from Europe that no more than two from Europe can be in the same group. That's the same rule. And no more than one from any other confederation. In other words, Mexico and Honduras or whoever. Honduras didn't make it. Mexico or Costa Rica couldn't be in the same group. Mexico or Panama could not be in the same group. That kind of thing, even though they're in different pots. Take a look at these, and we'll kind of break it down. I wanted, look, I'm not going to go through all 32 teams, but what I wanted to do was come up with what I thought was the most difficult group, the group of death following the rules of what you can put forth. And if you get a chance, if you're on the 405 right now, don't look at your phone doing this, okay? Just listen to the show. Be cool. Be safe. But when you get a chance, come up with your toughest group your world cup group of death based on the pots and the rules remember and then tweet it hashtag world cup group of death or whatever you want to do but hit me up with it at talk soccer all right you got plenty of characters to do this now most of you so i wanted to go through the toughest one now pot one is the tricky one because there are so many good teams in that and i will describe those there are a few that aren't quite as good though russia the host no they're not a great team They're just the hosts. They're in pot one with Germany, Brazil, Portugal, Argentina, Belgium, Poland, and France. Now, the three toughest to me are Germany, Brazil, and France. Sorry, what I saw of Argentina through 18 games of qualifying, they're not that good. I mean, they'll be all right because you have Lionel Messi, who is the greatest, so they'll be fine. And Portugal can beat anyone, as we've seen. I don't believe Portugal is just quite at the level of Germany, Brazil, France. Okay, so we're going to... Kind of put them in pot one, the top. Pot two, this is a tricky one. Spain and Peru, England's in there, Mexico, Uruguay, those kind of teams, Croatia. But Spain is the clear toughest. You do not want Spain out of pot two if you're not Spain, <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking to avoid the toughest. Now, this is where it gets interesting with pot three and four. Denmark, Iceland, Costa Rica, Sweden, Tunisia, Egypt, Senegal, Iran make up pot three. 
And this is where some people are going to be surprised by what I have to say about this one. The, to me, the toughest group or toughest team to pull out of that is indeed either Denmark or Costa Rica. Now, Costa Rica had a couple of friendlies. I know they looked a little rugged, looked a little ragged the last few days. They're going to be a tough out. With a tip of the cap to Sweden, mind you, who's been playing very well. And at pot four, these are the kind of, not the lesser teams, but let's face it. These are teams that you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get a win from, realistically. Serbia, Nigeria included, Australia, Japan, uh, Panama, South Korea, Saudi Arabia. To me, there is no tougher draw in that group than Japan. The Japanese will give any team fits. On any given day, they're so technically gifted. This Japanese team, if they can get their goal scoring straightened out, look out. And I know they had a little bit of rugged uh, rugged qualification themselves at times, but what I've seen out of this Japanese team, defensively they're going to be solid. I really believe they could be difficult. So for me, the group of death, if I really have to narrow it down, and since it's uh, being played on European soil, I'm going to factor that in. The group of death to me looks like Germany, Spain, Costa Rica, and Japan, that to me would be the toughest group. So what does that mean for uh, in all likelihood? I think that uh, the FIFA putting them teams into the pots based on ranking rather than just confederation, I think it actually eliminates a lot of the truly brutal groups of death, right? Because I said it, Germany, Spain, Costa Rica, Japan. That's a tough group. That's not as tough as we've seen in years past, realistically. Now, again... Everything plays out weird. We've seen this time and time again. Remember, Costa Rica in the last World Cup was in a brutal group, and they won it. <laughs> they didn't just get out of it. They won it with the likes of England and Italy in that group. So, I mean, you know how that is, and Uruguay. And it, things happen along the way, but the toughest group doesn't look that tough when it comes to uh, this new format. So it'll be very interesting to see how this shakes out, and we'll see if we uh, get a lot of upsets in these uh, in these World Cups, maybe maybe you're looking for they're trying to get the chalk going through. You know the favorites to move on, understandable, but it could be with this system we see less and less of the true groups of death. We got so much more to get to on this. Uh, again, we're going to be talking with Brad Friedel coming up. We got uh, John Thorrington, MLS playoffs. Remember on the last show, which is a while ago because of the schedules with the Lakers and things on here on ESPN LA, I mentioned the dates and I, I got them screwed up. I thought the uh, playoffs. It just didn't seem right, and somebody did tweet to me. It's actually Tuesday coming up where MLS playoffs get going back again. They had a nice break there with the international break. Columbus versus Toronto on Tuesday the 21st, and then Wednesday the 29th for the return leg to Toronto. Then Houston takes on Seattle on Tuesday as well, and then the return leg is the Thursday following the 30th. So MLS playoffs are into the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. By the way, news out of that is Josie Altidore, his appeal against that red card was denied. So indeed, he will have to sit out that first leg. That's the big news with already Javinko, Sebastian Javinko getting a, a suspension for multiple yellow cards. So the two big strikers, the two big threats for Toronto will be out for that first leg in Columbus. That's going to be the crucial aspect of that, but I wanted to get that news to you. Hey, when we come back, more MLS. It's Brad Friedel, manager of the New England Revolution. We'll have a conversation with him. Looking forward to that here. Soccer Weekly, I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football here in Southern California. It's ESPN LA 710. This is Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710, the home of world football here in Southern California. I am Dave Denholm, and you are listening here 
to what we're going to have is a great interview, I believe, with the manager, the new manager, and congratulations to him of the New England Revolution, a former colleague of mine at Fox Sports, Brad Friedel, U.S. soccer legend, joining us. Brad, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, Brad. Why New England and why get into coaching now for you in MLS? Well, I've been into, as as you've known, I've been uh, doing my – coaching education for quite some time now um why new england why now um i've i've had the opportunity to uh to look at various uh coaching coaching jobs uh both over here and uh, and abroad um after um burns called with the president brian bellello um and then with the owners robert and jonathan Kraft, and i saw the club's ambition and their plans for the future and I explained it to my staff on uh, what the plans for the club were. Uh, I felt that it was a, a great opportunity for for my staff um, to go in there and I think uh, with the backing of of the Crafts um, and Mike Burns and Brian we can be very successful. Brad, in a brutal Eastern Conference this season, we know those things are cyclical. New England just missed out on the playoffs. This is a team that is certainly not devoid of talent, Brad. You've got a lot of uh, offensive talent, especially. Talk a little bit about this roster potentially moving forward. Yeah, and I'm not at this early stage. I'm I'm not going to mention names on the roster, as you can, as I'm sure you can appreciate. But but you're absolutely right, and I've said this a few times. This isn't a squad that's in disarray by any by any means. There are a lot of very good pieces to this squad. I think um, there do need to be some little whether that be with the current personnel or bringing new personnel in. Um, but we are, that was another, that was another thing that my staff and I looked at when, when taking the, taking the job is, you know, how, how is the current squad? And there, uh, there are, as you said, a lot of good pieces to this, to this squad. Brad, if somebody's wondering about it, we all know you as obviously a legend in, in, in between the pipes and with the U.S. national team and playing over in Europe and uh, really uh, coming back and playing in MLS as well. But what style as a manager, what style do you think you want to want to transmit to the fans? What, what do they expect out of the New England Revolution team that you manage? Well, again, at the early stage, I'm not going to go too, too much into X's and O's uh, that That'll be there for people to see. But I think with the people that that know me, they'll they'll understand two things. You know, one is we'll put a, a team out on the field that is fully committed. Uh, they will be committed uh, with and without the ball. Um, that'll be uh, that'll be certain. I also think through my through my career with the clubs that I've played at, um, you could probably start to assemble a little bit of a of a style that I do like. I mean, even when I was in Denmark at Brøndby, it was the biggest club the most attack-minded club in the country at the time. Galatasaray, the same thing at Liverpool, an attack-minded club. Even my days at Blackburn, we were an attack-minded club. And at Tottenham, an attack-minded club. So although I'm a goalkeeper, uh, my uh, my education and the, the clubs that I've been at have uh, have usually been not of the, uh, of the attacking variety. So that's a part of the game that I like. But... Um, uh, with all the technical ability of the players that I like, they all are going to have to work very, very hard. Um, you know, and it, that's a uh, mentality issue, and it's something that my staff and I will work very hard to uh, to integrate into the squad and create a lot of competition for players, uh, for uh, 
places within the uh, within the playing squad. This is Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710. I'm Dave Dunholm talking with the new manager of the New England Revolution and a former U.S. legend, Brad Friedel. Brad, I've talked with other goalkeepers about this, and obviously you're kind of breaking through here. It seems that goalkeepers often get pigeonholed to be the goalkeeper coach when they retire. It, it, does that, is that something that you notice? Maybe did you bump into that at all? Well, I think there there have been a, a lot of a lot of goalkeepers that have become very very good head coaches. Uh, I think it's a natural progression for a coach to ask their goalkeeper that they played with, "Hey, do you want to come with me and be the goalkeeping coach?" Yeah. And I think a lot of, if that's what you want to do as a goalkeeping coach, that's that's great. When I started coaching, um, I never once coached the goalkeepers. I, when I started my UEFA B license, I was over. Um, at Tottenham's Academy, I coached the outfield players, and never once was I asked to coach the goalkeepers. And it's and it was just something that uh, that I thoroughly enjoyed doing was coaching was coaching the entire team as opposed to one specific position. But I think goalkeepers are if, if you want to do it and you want to learn how to do it, you're in a great position to be able to do so. I, we know it, we get to see pretty much and watch every game that we played in. So you know everything, everything uh, happens in front of you. And Brad, I know you are. A I beg your pardon. I know you're very familiar with, and in often cases, many times friends with a lot of the people who are running for U.S. Soccer president. So I won't ask specifics about candidates, but U.S. Soccer, of course, the disappointment of the men's side missing the World Cup, still killing me. It's still killing all of us. Where do you think U.S. Soccer has to go in general to improve, get over this bitter disappointment, and move forward and make sure these kind of things don't happen? Well, I mean, I, I can talk about the uh, the youth more on, on, on that side of things right now. I mean, the, the last two-year cycle is probably the most successful cycle that the United States has had. I think, I think in fact, it has yeah. um, been the most, most successful last two-year cycle. There are some tremendous young players coming through the coming through the ranks um uh, it was i think a surprise to us all when we didn't qualify for the world cup um but i don't think that that means that the state of uh, of soccer in the united states is in disarray um i was glad to see that some people got to see weston mckinney um and he scored a goal against portugal in in a u.s shirt you, you know the likes of tyler adams is a tremendously gifted player uh, Luca Della Torre, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, Matt Miazga, um, Ethan Horvath. Uh, I know he made a very, very bad mistake the other day, but he's an excellent goalkeeper. Zach Stefan, um, Jesse Gonzalez is another young goalkeeper. Um, Marlon Fossey at right back. You have Josh Sargent up front, and you look at the under-17s and the Timothy Weyas and and on and on. And on. There, there are a lot of good players coming through the, the youth systems um, with with uh, the United States, is there a lot of work ahead? Of course, there is. So, but we're, we're still a sport in its infancy. And the, the thing that most people probably don't realize is is that the U.S. soccer, especially Tab Ramos, knows a lot of the problems. But it's not a, uh, a flick of a switch that is going to change everything o- overnight. Tab Ramos is an is an excellent coach, um, and it was uh, it, it was very very good working underneath him with with uh, the the U-20s, mm-hmm. and um, and there's a lot of other good coaches within the, the U.S. national team system with Omid Namazi and Dave Vandenberg and John Hackworth and Sean Sakaris and the way that um, the, 
implementing the new the new curriculum, so to speak, within within there. It's going to be years before people really see the um, everything come to fruition. I was fortunate enough to see uh, England do do this, and uh, it was a few years back when I started my coaching education over at St. George's Park, and now you see the England's national teams winning the under-17s, winning the under-20s, uh, very competitive, the 19s and the under-21s and the European Championships. And uh, their next step is to make sure all those players get into Premier League teams. And when when stroke if they do that then you'll start to see them being very very competitive at the senior level and uh, being in semifinals and finals of world cups germany did it not so long ago mm-hmm. and and we've had a little bit of a revamping of the system here and it's going to be a couple of years before we see um that really come to fruition on the field but there's a lot of good that's going on i know people want to talk about a lot of the bad just because we didn't qualify for the World Cup. But there's also a lot of good that's gone on. Well, that is good to hear. And, Brad, a final question. A couple of Ohio guys, a couple of Clevelanders like ourselves, i got to mention this. My first interaction with MLS was in the very first year of his existence. I would drive down to go see Columbus Crew play. We know the crew with the possibility of Austin and all that. I just want to ask you, being a former crew member, uh, what was it like in terms of fans and being in Columbus at that time? Well, Ohio is... um is an interesting state for sports. Well, one thing's for sure. If you have a winning product, <laughs> the fans come out and are very, very loud. And that first season, uh, when when I when I signed, and it wasn't just myself, we had players come back from injury as well. So everything kind of came together at once. But when we were unbeaten, I think, in eight or nine last games, uh, we had over 30,000 at the games in Columbus. Um, we were playing in the old horseshoe. The field wasn't great. So, again, you can see how how far the sport has come in the U.S. But uh, the Ohio fans are uh, are special, especially if you win, and that, that's in every sport. Brad Friedel, manager of the New England Revolution. We wish you nothing but the best, except for when you play my L.A. Galaxy, of course. But, Brad, it's always a pleasure come to on, talk Dave. to you. <laughs> Good luck to you, and uh, thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Thanks. You bet. Brad Friedel, a legend with the U.S. men's national team in goal, of course, played over in Europe and here in MLS, and now he will manage in MLS, taking the job with the New England Revolution. Again, a team that just barely missed out on the playoffs in a much more difficult Eastern Conference, which we didn't all see coming, that's for sure. But it uh, turned out that way, certainly with Atlanta United playing very well and the rest of the teams there. Uh, For instance, the Columbus Crew, as I mentioned, by the way, a team that would have been first in the West, finished fifth in the east so that's all you need to know but brad uh, brad friedel we, we thank him for the time and good luck to him as manager of the new england revolution when we roll on here on soccer weekly so much more to get to including uh don't forget stoppage time still in the distance but it is our favorite segment all that and so much more still rolling around it's soccer weekly on the home of world football here in southern california it's espn la 710 this is soccer weekly espn la 710 i'm dave down and you are listening to the home of world football here in southern california brought to you by puente hills toyota check them out at puente hills toyota and joining me now, the Executive Vice President and General Manager of LAFC. Uh, we really love talking to him. John Thorrington, thanks for taking the time again. John, appreciate it. Of course, Dave. Glad to be here. John, uh, well, let's get right to it. How's the scouting coming along? We're getting closer and closer. Yeah, we're uh, moving moving fast. We've got, uh, we're traveling high, far, and wide, I can assure you. Um, both myself and Bob have logged quite a few miles to 
go and watch the players we've identified from afar, get to see them live, and yeah, I'd say we've got a lot of oars in the water now, and we're we're moving. John, not to put you on the spot, but we have heard the rumors. Everybody, it's all flying around. Is there anything you can add to the Diego Rossi story coming out of Peñarol? Um, no, nothing I can nothing I can add to the to the rumors. I would say they are all rumors until mm-hmm. until you hear something official from from either me or or the club. John, is there any way you can take a look at their right back? Not Varela from Man United, but Carujo. He's great. I love him. I'm just saying, if you're if you're going to take a peek at Peñarol, check out Carujo. That's all I'm saying. You know, we all, we have to help each other out here. But uh, the expansion Much draft. Appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate. I love Carujo. I watched him in the last game. I got the Uruguayan league somehow on one of these channels. I get. I literally am watching Uruguayan football now every week. Uh, the expansion draft coming up, John, on December 12th is obviously a big step forward for uh, LAFC. It's a big part of what you're doing now uh what are, what are the preparations for that like you don't really get a lot of time with the list that the league gives you in essence no very true it's you know we we look at our calendar as a reminder of these uh, these these dates and and big events are nearing it was four weeks ago four weeks yesterday uh four weeks from yesterday is when the expansion draft is happening so we're well aware of of it of it rapidly approaching and the way we've approached the expansion draft is it's a bit more reactive obviously because we get given the pool of players so the best preparation we can uh we can do for that is just the knowledge across the league so that when players do come up we've already done the research and we're not scrambling in 48 hours trying to look at the you know 230 players across the league so we um we've done a lot of that work already you know bob myself our scouts everybody is is very familiar with the league we watch we get eyeballs on every game we get the reports so that once we get the list we're not then going and doing our work it just becomes filtering through the information and the work that we've already done and when you look at the expansion draft we've seen it many times but the interesting part about it is you're alone here in this sense, you know, you're yeah. not battling another team or being worried about their strategy. Do you have you guys thought about where you're going to head in, in in a general overall? Are you looking to maybe trade prospects or, or trade kind of you know use it as trade bait? Are you looking for youth, veteran leadership, or is it a mixture of things? Yeah, there's there is a there are a lot of moves. There is no game theory, which mm-hmm. is your point. There's no game theory this time around where. You know, depending on what the other expansion team picks, will will determine what we do. So that is an advantage in this case. So we, I would say, with eighty percent certainty, we can probably predict who will be available right now, given you know teams protect eleven players, and there are a few in the margins that maybe we're not fully aware of a contractual situation or the exact opinion of a coach of a guy. But by now, most of those details are clear. And so we now uh, we 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 want value uh, out of this draft, and if that means we're we're picking a player who you know another team might value slightly higher than we would, but it's a vehicle that, that that through us they can get the player, which has happened. You know, people forget guys like Dax McCarty were picked in an expansion draft and traded for Rodney Wallace, and for all these people that say. There's no value in the expansion draft. I, I, I disagree. I think you can get some real key pieces, and that will be our, our intention, whether directly through the five players we pick or by you know selecting the right guys and getting assets in exchange for them. Absolutely. Talking with John Thorrington, the uh, general manager of LAFC. 
John, as you, as you look ahead, I know it's, it's hard not to kind of like look at the stadium and see how it's booming and everything's coming on, but I know you're busy. This doesn't surprise you, but this type of question you know because you've been around the game for so long, but maybe for fans, how, how much of your job is just people, agents, and, and representatives, and everybody else since the soccer world is so big, how much of your job is just having to take phone calls from people approaching you about players? Yeah, it's it's an interesting – I think it's eye-opening when if someone were to ask me what my day looks like, <laughs> the amount of non-soccer – obviously it's all related to soccer yeah. given my responsibility here – it's a lot of it is not – there are days where I have a completely free day and it was structured in such a way that I could go watch games and I can scout and all of a sudden I, I hang up a phone and it's 5 p.m., 6 p.m. So it's a lot – I think people are surprised that they have the, the stuff, you know, whether it's coaches that love being on the field if I'm describing my day-to-day to them, but the surprising amount of non-soccer work that I – or directly related to the game anyways. But um, – yeah, but to answer to, to answer the question in a different way, Dave, I think part of that busyness is just because so many people are really excited to be involved with this project. I whether that's players, staff, technical staff, front office staff, it I consider it a, a privilege that my phone is so busy. And I I joke that I've never been never been more popular, but I'm not naive enough to think it's because of me. I know that it's in large part just because. Uh, of this amazing project that we have at LAFC, which is this this vision of ownership coming to fruition. You can see it physically with the stadium, and then piece by piece you'll see it with our with our team and business operation as well. I wanted to ask you about one of those pieces. You mentioned the stadium, as we talked about, but what about the training facility and your offices? Uh, this is something that maybe people don't know a lot about. Can you uh, expound on that? Expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So we not to, not to be ignored our owners are investing heavily in our performance center uh at cal state la a a big undertaking it's not easy to find space here in la and you know it's it's every bit it's it's it'll be a an everyday home uh befitting of any player that we could possibly sign it's a you know state of the art 30,000 square foot facility beautiful field that'll eventually house uh, all of our soccer programming with the academy to have a really central, have a completely centralized and aligned uh, structure. Our soccer operations offices will be there every day. So we are incredibly excited and really big thank you to owners for the commitment they've shown to get that up and running so that we have a home day one because it's very easy for me to go on the road and show these players our stadium. But the next question is, well, where am I going to be every day? And, you know, for a lot of players, the, the, the training ground and what the, we're calling our performance center is uh, every bit, if not more important, as, as the stadium because it's, it's their home. Now, I might be a year or two ahead here because you have a lot of work to do, John. But one of the things that's fascinating me, and I don't know much about it, to be perfectly frank, I want to I learn more about it, is eSports. And with FIFA being so big in that world, the video game world, I've seen NYCFC actually sign players to esports contract i've seen atlanta united now hire a general manager for the esports is that something that's in the uh, scope of lafc in the future yeah without getting too uh without getting too specific i mean one of our main um our managing owners is a guy brandon beck Mm -hmm. who is found incredible success in esports he's like the godfather of esports despite being younger than i am (laughs) And 
so yes, we will be very active. Our stadium is actually uh, wired and fitted for for esports events. Uh, Brandon started League of Legends, and the company is Riot Games, which is an absolute oh, yeah. monster in the world of of esports. So you can be sure that we will be actively involved in all things esports for sure. Well, I am an old man. It's a brave new world, John, I got to tell you. So I'm looking forward to that as well. But John Thorrington, Executive Vice President and General Manager of LAFC, as always, thanks so much for taking the time. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, John. Of course, Dave, anytime. John Thorrington, Executive Vice President, GM of LAFC. I really appreciate his time. It's always fun to take a look at something that's being built from the ground up. We keep talking about it. It's amazing when it's right in your backyard that this is something, you know, we've seen it obviously in sports and every sport. There's been expansion over the last, at least my lifetime, 30, 40 years. We've seen it go very well for some and go very badly for others. And technically one of those teams was my Cleveland Browns. But LAFC from the ground up, literally was seeing a stadium coming up from out of the dirt and everything. So it's always fascinating to talk with John, see where they're at. They do have the expansion draft coming up, and it's good to get insight on that strategy. Again, that's December 12th. The teams have to put in their lists. At least they'll be announced. I should say the teams will be announcing their list, or the league will be announcing the list of the players that LAFC can go after on December 10th. Hey, still to come, we've got so much more to get to on Soccer Weekly, including stoppage time. My favorite segment, Mario Rees, the great producer, will be with me. It's Soccer Weekly here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. It is Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710, brought to you by Puente Hills Toyota. Check out, get your new 2017 Toyota Camry LE at Puente Hills Toyota, PuenteHillsToyota.com. Check them out today and tell them that Soccer Weekly sent you. We appreciate their support. Appreciate also Brad Friedel, a manager of the New England Revolution and the GM of LAFC. We just talked to John Thorrington here on Soccer Weekly. If you missed any at all or all of that, you want to check out the podcast each and every week, which gets put up right after the show is done. We tweet that out to you. We tweet the links out, but it's also at iTunes, Soccer Weekly. Just uh, follow that and uh, search for it on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review. Really appreciate that. And thank you for all your support. MLS playoffs. We mentioned them earlier in the show. Columbus taking on Toronto, Houston, and Seattle. It's time to get back into it now, right? You had a little delay, a little break with the international break. The U.S. taking on Portugal. Want to talk a little bit about that as well. But my predictions, I'm not, I'm not moving my change in my predictions. It's a rematch of last season's MLS Cup, Toronto, Seattle. That's going to be the difference. They're the two best teams right now. And they're the, until Seattle gets that thing uh, yanked from their hands, they are MLS Cup champions. Toronto really wants to take that away from them. They have a tall task without Josie Altidore or Sebastian Jovinko in that first leg at Columbus. And, of course, with all the crew stuff swirling with the Austin story. And I, I wanted to mention something really quickly on that. A gentleman named Matt Yoder at thecomeback.com, thecomeback.com, wrote an interesting piece on the crew situation possibly going to Austin and one of the things I found interesting was how he related to to a personal story about one of the homegrown players and his mother who's been a Columbus crew fan for basically since they've been around in the Brad Friedel days that we talked about earlier in the show since essentially the start of the league even and now her son got signed by Columbus crew as a homegrown player he lives in the neighborhood essentially right in the you know one of the suburbs and how that's an interesting factor with MLS that you don't think about much with other sports. When another sport moves, the Baltimore Colts become the Indianapolis Colts. They don't sign guys in the backyard of Bolt. You know what I mean? They, they can, I guess, theoretically. But they don't have academies attached to them. They don't have youth teams attached to them like the Columbus crew. They have kids who grew up there that signed as homegrown players. You're going to just cart them off to Austin? I mean, it's business. It may happen. 
but it's another little layer there that really makes it makes you think more because he used Yoder used in that article again at thecomeback.com her talking about that this mother who's really passionate about the Columbus crew but what do you do your son signed for them now and then they're going to yank your team away it's even deeper than just taking your team so fascinating stuff there it's another level and another layer of that uh, in that story with the Columbus crew possibly going and that I, I I believe they had meetings between uh, Columbus and MLS and apparently they didn't go that well <laughs> frankly based on the statements that were uh, delivered by both sides so it's not looking fantastic there and that that would be a crying shame here's where I got to pump the brakes a bit I'm reading a lot about people at social media or wherever well if Columbus leaves then I'm done with MLS. Now, if you're a Columbus Crew fan, I got you. Okay, I understand that. If you're some random soccer fan or if you're a fan of the Real Salt Lake or whatever, I get why you're upset. Don't get me wrong. I'm upset, but let's let's just pump the brakes a tad here. It's not as though MLS is the only sport that this has ever happened to here. In fact, I can't, uh, I can't barely throw a football without hitting a team that just moved back to Los Angeles here. And you know what you know what I'm talking about. We had two teams that just right. I mean, let's not let's not overreact here. Let the business care of itself. Hopefully, Columbus keeps the team. No doubt. I want to make that perfectly clear. But this is business, and it does happen. It's not the death of MLS if they move a franchise. It's already happened in MLS. Hey, you know what time it is? It's my favorite time of the show. And for stoppage time, we welcome in the great producer, Mario Rees, who handles the stoppage time hosting duties. Mario, welcome. Hey, what's happening? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you bet. All right, so the Columbus crew, they got a tough matchup coming up in the uh, MLS Conference Finals when they take on Toronto FC on Tuesday. Yep. Uh, But with the whole relocating the crew to Austin, Texas, do you believe that this team could be a team of destiny? Uh, No. No, I don't. I think they're going to lose to Toronto. It's a nice story. Yeah, But as I said a few weeks ago, Mario, that's not what real life is. You know what I mean? Now, Columbus Crew's good, and I guess they could win. I mean, theoretically, yeah, they're one of the final four teams. But it's not some, oh, let's just do this for the, oh, we're leaving. And if, if players are motivated by that, they're motivated for the wrong reasons, frankly, too. I mean, this is not some team of destiny thing. No, they're just a good, solid team who's having a nice little run here that's going to end in the Eastern Conference Final. Again, if sports were as dramatic and dreamy as we all wanted to believe, one side always loses. I'm sorry, and that's just the way it is. We can't all win in sports, and no, Columbus Crew will not be the Cinderella story. All right, we got to send a a big uh, congrats to West Ham striker Andy Carroll and his wife on the birth of their new baby boy named Wolf Nine Carroll. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when I first heard that, I thought that was kind of crazy. Okay. But I think the name's kind of grown on me. I think it's kind of cool. Wolf. Okay. Well, we, Wolfie. Well, Wolf, look, Wolf or Wolf as it is, is very popular in Germany. Now, we've seen that name. You know, in fact, Eddie Van Halen, I think, has a kid who is named uh, Wolfgang. You know, but and that's a popular name. But Wolf Nine, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know about the Nine part. Yeah, the Nine's a little, I understand, with Andy Carroll, giving you know, yeah. homage to his number. But, yeah, that's, uh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'll say, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It grows on you. I would agree. All right, with the U.S. missing the World Cup, did you hear these rumors about this possible tournament that they want to do uh, where they bring in some of the bigger teams that missed the uh, World Cup qualifying, like uh, Italy, uh, Chile, Netherlands, Ghana? 
Did you hear about that? I am so disgusted by even the rumors of this, Mario. This might be the dumbest idea that anyone could possibly ever have. I hope it's just totally like, hey, maybe we should do that. And it's not really like a legit thing. You know what I mean? Like if anybody's genuinely thinking about this, they should just be get out of sports altogether. This is the dumbest possible idea I've ever heard or one of. And Mario, I say it like this. At first glance, first of all, I thought they were going to do it during the World Cup, which would be so offensive. But that can't even, you know, that's not even a possibility. They were going to do it beforehand, apparently. Rumors are you bring these teams over. This is awful, Mario. What self-respecting player would go play in this, first of all? Honestly, I know it's like, well, you're representing your country. The Italians will just have gotten done with their season, right? Right. Let's say. Or the Netherlands player, the Dutch players who play all over Europe as well. Just finish your season. You're going to go play in some NIT for the World Cup? This is absurd. Yeah. Why would you take your time to go play in these? You look like an idiot, for one thing. Honestly, these countries would look stupid playing in these games because it just highlights that they didn't make it. Just go away. Right? You don't want to put, you don't want to, hey, everybody, it's us versus Ghana in a game where we didn't make the World Cup. Like, who wants that? No, I agree. I wouldn't watch it. I will not watch these things. I I really wouldn't. I mean, and I don't know if they think we will, and maybe some people will, but I believe I'm not alone in those. I don't believe I'm going to be pumped up to actually watch the World Cup, even though it's going to be a dagger through my heart. I don't need further reminder that we gagged by watching these, these fake games. It's just such a money grab, Mario. That's all that is. It's almost like a loser bracket. Yes, it's exactly right. And you're just highlighting, hey, everybody, we suck. I mean, we're awful. We couldn't make the World Cup. What other nation would possibly have the dignity to not, you know, at least say no? I hope they all do. I hope, you know, I can't, I, I can imagine a call going to the Italian Football Association and they're like, hey, you want to come over and play? Are you insane? Hang up on them now. What idiot is this from the U.S.? No way. I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense to me. It's all a cash grab if it does happen, and I just hope we don't fall for it. I really do. And not only that, Mario, it sets a bad precedent. It really does. I'll tell you why. You're supposed to be wanting – you're supposed to be dying and scraping and scratching and clawing to make the World Cup. And to just give somebody – it's just strictly handing out a participation medal. It's like it's it's our society now. Yeah, exactly. Hey, everybody, here's a ribbon for participating. Oh, yeah. you're the, Everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. I mean, no, you should feel this pain like I'm going to, like Mario's going to. We should all feel this pain. There's no pain in listening to Soccer Weekly every week here. And I do appreciate the great Mario Rees and the, the Michael Funches, the two coolest men in radio, for helping me out. Thanks once again to John Thorington of LAFC and the new manager of uh, New England Revolution, Brad Friedel, friend of mine. I really appreciate them joining the show. I am Dave Dunholm. You have been listening to Soccer Weekly on the home of world football here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710.